Hello and welcome to a brand new documentary series here on Ocean FM entitled The Gift of Life. In this series we will speak to recipients of lung, heart and kidney organs and how these precious gifts have helped to change their respective lives. In today's programme we hear the story of Michal Mitchell who received a double lung transplant. Michal tells us a story of falling ill, prior to the operation, receiving a cancer diagnosis just before the transplant operation was due to take place. He shares his memories of how he had to be kept awake while having his new lungs transplanted into his body and how he is still impacted by the experience of what he endured. I won't go to bed at about maybe four o'clock in the morning just to avoid sleeping. Probably go there for, if I could. Just to get up quicker in the morning, you know, so at least you know you're awake and you're up. And you're, no, it's just years ago it was like that, but then it got worse since, you know, since the operation. Like, but sometimes you, you can work it out, you can clear your head, and you will sort of drift off after a while. Like, I, as I do, put on the earphones and put a nice bit of relaxing music on. It could be six o'clock before I even get to sleep, and you're up then at nine again, then, you know. But. And after the time of your operation, that's when this feeling very much, I suppose, became stronger. That there was a real fear in how you were feeling that stage. That yeah. if I close my eyes here, oh, I might never open them. No, sure. Even after after the operation, after I came out of intensive care, I was I I didn't sleep for three days because I was afraid if I closed my eyes that I wouldn't wake up. And even the doctor was saying, "Why wasn't I sleeping?" And I made up an excuse that was I was looking at all the machines and I was taking all the interest in all around me and all. I was just wanted to sleep, but I was just a fear of it, you know. Michal Mitchell was born in Sligo and spent all of his life in the county. He now lives in Strand Hill. Seven years ago, Michael first became aware he had issues regarding his lungs. It's going back to 2015. I took this bad cough, and I was smoking at the time. I thought maybe it was the cigarettes was causing the problem. It sort of got worse and worse then for the weekend and everything. Like I said, it wasn't just an ordinary cough. It was like coughing you were bringing up turning your stomach so i made him an appointment with my own doctor down the road. she's uh she's she's retired now at the moment she she brought me in and she was chatting me about the uh, the cough and i said how bad it was and i said it's it's not a smoker a smoker's cough because i sort of had an idea it was more in here she brought me in she checked me out and she, she checked my chest and she sent me for a chest extra into the sligo general i kept I, I i went back to work that day so she was waiting for the results of the test but she rang me. I was sitting here one day and she rang me and she was saying, could I come down to the surgery? That was sort of urgent. So I went down, but I was thinking all the bad things anyway. Mm-hmm. So I went in the door and she said, um, we got the results of the x-ray and it's not great news. She says, I found a shadow on your lung. I couldn't speak for maybe five or ten minutes after. Like, and eventually I said, What's, what can we do? She says, well, we'll have to go further and get more tests done. So she, she said she'll organise, get the... It's all these tests in the hospital, through the hospital. So eventually you got into the hospital and they were doing, um, despite all these breathing tests and they put the camera down, you know, they put the camera down into your yeah. lungs, like you were, you were asleep for it. They, were, they wanted to take uh, spec- specimens of it so they could know exactly what the disease was. Done that anyway, I was knocked out. And then um, they thought it was sclerosis or something. I think I before that, which wasn't as bad as what I had. And then the doctor came back into me after the test, after I woke up and she said, it's not what we thought it was, it's pulmonary fibrosis. I didn't know what to do, like, because I knew it was bad, you know, so... It was life-changing oh, it was, yeah. in many it's ways. It was, yeah. But you worked as a mechanic, yeah, and that was a vocation and a passion for you, maybe yes. more so than a job. Oh, I was, yeah, I used to love it, and I used to even... We have a garage here, and we, from a young fellow, we were out having our father every, you know, every night, 
holding the lamp or something like that. But we, we loved it. I loved it. I stuck at it, you know, and mm-hmm. I, oh, I loved it. I worked in three or four different garages. Over a period of time, the condition obviously deteriorated. Oh, yeah. And you were telling me it was almost an intervention by your sister that probably brought it home to you the true extent of it. You knew, but maybe subconsciously, you were trying to hide the full extent yeah. and as severe as the condition had got. Yeah. I didn't want them to see me as bad as I was. The biggest thing was, it took me half an hour to get up out of bed. But this, this has now would have been the last, say, two years before it got very bad. Like, it was, it was slowing down, then they put me on the oxygen. I kept everything to myself and kept it quiet. You know what sisters are like? Sisters spot something. That, and she took it in her own mind to get it sorted out like. Before that, I, I, was, I was sent to Professor Regan in Dublin. He's the profes- professor of the lungs. And I used to go up to him every, maybe every once, every once, two months, just to see how it was going, like the disease. And it was gradually going worse, like. All they had was getting these tablets to slow it down. See, the, the lung disease, it's called scarring of the lungs. Yes. And there's no, there's no cure. It's, it's like... It was always inevitable that you were going to need a transplant. And you mentioned to me it's like a, a countdown clock that starts off when the condition is diagnosed and you're probably maybe, if you're lucky, somewhere in the region of six years before yeah. the transplant is needed. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's right. See, I used to go, to, as I say, I used to go to my sister's for dinner. I was sitting just there on the chair, and next thing the door opened, three or four, and I'm, in, I'm looking, what's going on here? Like, And they said, I'm, I have to go straight to Dublin, up to the matter, to grab me in, but it got so bad. I did get bad now, and my legs started shaking. I didn't cop, I didn't see this now. It was spotted. Like my legs were shaking, and my hands were shaking. And at the, that stage, I wasn't. I knew it was getting worse, but it was slowly. And I was like, I was waiting for something to happen. Like I was on the list, but there was nothing really happening about it. There was no phone calls or nothing. And like that was going on a good six, seven months, and then we got things moving anyway. So we headed for Dublin that night to help my brother Liam. So, following the intervention of Michael's family, there was a speedy journey to the Matter Hospital. The seriousness of Michael's condition was reflected by the amount of oxygen he had to take with him on the trip from Sligo to the capital. A lot of bottles of oxygen to get me to Dublin because mm-hmm. we rang the, um, the nurse in Dublin and she says to use the oxygen up to the full blast. And she said, don't let the oxygen level down. And we, we, I, when I was the last bottle of oxygen, it was out of, the, out of the matter. We got lost, and the next thing, it was sort of funny in, in a way, like, Liam, brother was trying to get the oxygen off the last hose and wouldn't come off. Yes. And, of course, he was panicking then because I was really literally running out of oxygen, and we didn't know where the hospital was. So he ran down, and there's a, ga- a garage station. Mm-hmm. And he asked, obviously, after the garage. It was just around the corner. Yeah. But we had to do a bad thing, and we had to go down a one-way street. At that stage, we didn't really care, you know. Uh, it was so, the lesser of two evils. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Apart from that, health-wise, the only other health issue you had was a heart attack a number of years before that. I had a heart attack uh, 10 years ago, yeah. Michal, at this stage, was left in no doubt over the severity of the challenges that faced him. Time was running out for him. The medical experts in the matter had to source two lungs that were healthy and would also be a perfect match for Michal's body shape. The odds in many ways were stacked against him, but Michal was a fighter and made up his mind that he had too much to live for. Even going in the door of the hospital, like I had to get a wheelchair in, and I said, I said to me brother, I said, I'm going to come out of this. Now, it didn't look great at the time, but just I had to have something positive to think about going in the door. They couldn't believe how bad I was. Like when I went in, they brought me up to the ward, and next thing, they come down to you straight away and they check you out. No, it's not, you're not left there overnight. My oxygen, they had to put up nearly full whack. Just for even to get me breathing again, because I was panicking. Mm-hmm. You know, I was getting a bit stressed out with the different environment and not, not knowing what was ahead of me. 
You know, that was the biggest thing. For many, waiting for such a huge operation could have paralysed them with fear and anxiety. Not Michal. He wanted to be in the best possible shape he could be for the operation and even sent word back to his sister in Sligo to transport his weights from the northwest to the Matter Hospital to help him continue with his efforts to prepare for the operation that lay ahead. The physio was doing a test on me. I was walking on a trolley with two bottles of oxygen, one each side, and she put it down to the level I was on, and she checked out how I could walk, see how far I could walk. And then she was turning it up and up and up, and it was nearly up on 30 or 40, just to get me breathing, I could walk the length of the corridor. We were doing that for a lot of days, and then had to, sort of, they had to fix the oxygen in the room and all to suit me. For the, like there was a, tra- a trailer's bicycle over the far side, and I had to have the hose the right length, and I said, I'm going to start doing the bicycle now, and would, uh, I, I started off slowly, and I'd done the bicycle. I was at home, and I, I texted my sister to bring up the weights to Dublin, literally, like, you know, and uh, she said, what? I said, will you bring up them weights? I said, I'm just gonna, it's just going to might hurry me up a wee bit yeah. and give me something to do for the day, like, so done that, got the weights up, and I was doing them. I ended up doing 400 of them twice a day, the bicycle for, I could do half an hour every time. Now, this, this was the full oxygen at this stage. Yeah. And then there was like the, like the wee bicycle I have here, another one you, I was sitting down doing that at the same mm-hmm. time and doing the weights at the same time. I had something like 12 major tests to do before find out if I was able for the, strong enough for the... the and Euro. physically and mentally it was oh, helping yeah, prepare, yeah. prepare you for it. Yeah. Um, speaking of fighting and one of the soundtracks and the piece of music that you listened to in the time leading up to the operation yeah. in the hospital was the last, the soundtrack of the movie, The Last Samurai. Yeah, you remember that one? And that was the relaxing music. Oh, I used to love it. And I have, have a wee speaker then. Even the nurses used to, they used to come in to listen, listen to it, just if they were stressed out themselves, like, and just chill out for a while. How do you feel when maybe if you, you hear that music again or the movie on another show on TV recently? Very, very emotional, like, you know. brings back good and bad memories, like. When you're in, in, in your own room, say, for 12 to 14 weeks, it's a long time, like, and you're, you have a lot of thinking to be doing, like. Good memories in the sense that you came through it, oh, and yeah. I presume... Oh, the best. In many ways, it probably makes you think about mortality when you oh, go yeah. back to that period in exactly, your time. Exactly, like, after the operation, like, and then you have to start walking again, and you have to sort of get... Bit of, when you have no oxygen and, and the disease keeps eating at your, your muscles and everything, like, you're left with really nothing. You have to build yourself up again slowly and get, get moving again, like... If having to undergo a double lung transplant was not enough for Michal to contend with, he also received a further health blow when the doctors informed him that they suspected he may have cancer. My own doctor, Dr Murray, came in and I think for two chairs, I was sitting on the side of bed and said, you won't be leaving this hospital. You will be leaving it one way, she said, either going out in a box or you'll be getting the lungs. What's the chance of getting lungs in, in that, that time, you know? I found uh, my prostate level was high. And then this doctor came down, he checked me, he said that was, the prostate was, the wall was hard, like mm-hmm. that. He said, we'll have to go further and we'll have to take um, samples of it then, you know. And then, the worst part then was waiting around because they found a, a lump down the bottom of my left side then, and they were convinced that that was it. If I had it and touch wood, I don't, I, I'd clear it up now, anyway. they couldn't have done the operation. The double lung transplant had to take place before they could treat you for cancer. Yes. All this was going on. Probably maybe a difficult question to answer me, Hull. No, no. What were you thinking at that stage? Was it, why me? How can all this be happening? I expected no, no better, like, you know. Yeah. I just sort of had to deal with it and give it a kick in my arse and just let it out, you know. There was no point just laying back and taking it. A week before I was got the operation, I was doing the weights and the, the doctors couldn't believe that I was even doing them, like, you know. The coordinator came in, she said, 
do you fancy go for an operation like this, you know? I said, yeah, we we got a match for you. For a match for a double, you're obviously getting two lungs from, from, from the one person. Yeah. Their body shape, their body frame had yes. to be similar to yours. Had to be spot on, yeah. Your height, in order for the lungs to fit into your... Into your ribcage. Into yeah, your ribcage. Spot cage. on, yeah. They had they, they measured my ribcage, my height. But the biggest problem then was, like, if... if with the bloods, uh, just saying now, her, the first owner was down, I think, down near Limerick or something. Coordinators had to go down and they had to get blood samples to see was there any, any match. And they took, I think they'd done a, an hour of tests before they even came back. And they came back with the bloods and I think they had to send my bloods and her, the poor person that was... The donor. Their bloods to the, the Beaumont to see where they matched. And everything matched up, but God love the person who, who had the lungs had pneumonia or something and they wanted to, couldn't chance it. I thought it was lights out. But then they only three days to live, like. Then the news came through, lungs were found, that yeah. were a match. The operation itself consisted of 22 hours. You were an hour and a half in prep. Yeah. You had a team of 25 people working on, on you during the operation. You were awake when all this was taking place. Yeah. And you have one vivid memory of a mirror that was above the operating yeah. bed. It was only about two inches by three inches. And I was lying down in the bed, they would prep me my neck with these needles and boxes. That was the hardest. They were cutting my leg. There, were, there was two teams working on getting this. It was a special monitor thing that goes into my leg. So my heart was weak. I was lying back, and next thing, after all the, the neck was done, I could turn around and I could see up. And next thing all I could see was the knife cutting my leg. I could see it all, the blood everywhere. Just whatever way I looked up, and I looked up at it. I did that. We did look at it now. Like, but, the, but they were kept uh, injecting needles into me for the pain. And like, I still could feel the needle. I said, look, at this stage, I'm not going to ask you anymore. And I could feel... Everything I could feel the cut of the. the, the Why was it so important to be all that you had to stay awake? The oxygen. Oxygen, yeah. If I, they had me on the nozzle oxygen up, up to full whack and they had a big mask over my face and they were literally pushing down on the mask, which was very hard on me at the time. Couldn't get me breath at all because they had to do much, so much pressure to keep the oxygen level going as much as it could when it was getting all this prepped in, like. And again, there would have been a real fear, and I'm far from a medical expert, but there would have been concerns that you could have suffered a heart attack during oh, a procedure yeah, like, like that. My, my, my heart was very... It was all with the, with the heart attack years ago, and my, my lung was lying up against my heart for maybe two years, and it was weak at that stage. So just to recap, Michal was awake, watching the operation unfold on the operating table, and was gasping for every breath. In many ways, it resembles a film. And indeed, during this ordeal, he was taking inspiration from the lines of a famous film. I had this in my head. All this is my brother sent me this when things were bad. Remember Rocky when he hit the floor? Other fella thought he won. Rocky said, "I didn't hear no bell. One more round. That's you, Mick. One more round. Don't give up." This is a text message now. I reply back to him. I said, "This is the fight, first fight of my life I ever had. I'm going to win the belt. They're bringing home." That was my head going into. In for the operation. Michal, from having been brought up in a Catholic household, has strong religious beliefs. He feels that the prayers of many family and friends helped him successfully undergo this operation. He also remembers talking to the spirits of his departed parents around the time. I can only feel them beside me, like, you know, when I was in recovery, in intensive care, and when I, quit, when I didn't want to sleep because I was afraid, picked one point in the wall. It was just literally beside the clock. And I was looking at it, and it, this shape came to me. I don't know if people might believe this, but this is the truth that I even told the family. This mark on the wall, I stared at for three days, and it was at uh, the church up at Knock. The Knock Shrine. The Knock Shrine, yeah. And, I, 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 and that's probably another reason I didn't sleep either, because I was so focused on, on this. 
I couldn't believe it like that there was Knox Rain on, on, literally on the wall it was a big white wall it's a terrible day I think it was three days in, in, in intensive care and they moved me down before I left I said to the doctor doctor can I ask you something he said of course you can they call me Mick or Michael you know, yes. the, uh, and I said uh, do you see it on that wall he said no I don't I don't see a thing so I seen it like said, oh, no one else could see what I seen and at that stage as well you had your own funeral arrangements ready. Oh, yeah. The, God I, forbid things didn't I work had, out. I had a night of few money for pie at all. Like. You had the vision of Knox Ryan, and also, and again, maybe some people would point to the fact and say, well, it was medication or whatever. You also remember an experience with what many would would know commonly as the Grim Reaper at yeah, that stage. Did, yeah, What was that like? Oh, that's scary. Was it, I think it was one of the nights that it was, I was sort of getting asleep, and I just woke up then in the middle of the night, and this, like, my room was very bright, and it definitely wasn't a nurse or a doctor, because the... They wake you up when they come in. I can put that out straight away. But it's just like a big hood over my head, like, looking down on me. Franking the guts on me, like, you know. But again, the bell hadn't sounded. It huh? wasn't It wasn't his time to meet you. No, definitely not, no. We spoke already about the, the donor of your <coughs> lungs. Yeah. And you've named him Sam. Sam, yeah. You say a prayer to him every night. I do. Were you ever tempted to find out more about... Let's continue yeah. to call him Sam. Were you ever I, tempted uh, to find out more about him? I am now. To me, he must be a very fit young man. See, what I have now... They're probably better than the ones I ever had these lungs. I often wonder what what happened to him and in what situation did he have to go through? Was it an accident or you know? Yeah, that's why I wouldn't mind knowing. I would, but I wouldn't go too deep into it. But I, I often thought that if, if God loved parents, they wanted to meet me, I had no problem. Because you know, as I said, I'm doing this for every person that was in my situation. They're sitting at home now, and they might they're down in the dumps, and they might hear the story. You know, but you're doing very yes. well for me. And they would say, well, there is hope. To this day, I tell everyone I didn't do this myself. I had help. I know I'd help from the, the parents. And I had plenty of help. Like, if you read this in the book now where someone told you, you wouldn't believe it. You know, I wouldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. You say, yeah, I know, that couldn't be right. Like, no one gets the chance of two sets of lungs within three, two to three weeks, like. Like, there's people up there probably waiting... Ages, weeks, ages, months, it, years. Months, years, yeah. And I'm just so lucky that I... I was the one that was picked. You know, at this stage, I had given up. I know it's getting back to operation, but the coordinator said, we're going again for an operation. And the prep you, the prep you for the operation, say, in the morning, and like you're, you're there the whole day long then until you get, you're lying in the bed by yourself. And you've got awful lot of time to think. I think it was nearly one o'clock in the morning before that to start the, the operation. So you have all them hours just lying down in the bed thinking, is it going to work out or... Can I bring you to the period of time, Michal, yeah, that yeah. took place immediately after the operation? You were more or less out of it for three days. Yeah. And when you came through and when you came round, a yellow bandana was mm. one of the first things that you saw. And in the words of the famous Pogue song, a pair of brown eyes. Yeah, a pair of brown eyes, right. Well said. When I went into operating to hear it first, like, I was, I, was, I was relaxed sitting back. But when they were trying to, were, it was all a rush to get this all done. And I remember this doctor come over and, and he was wearing a yellow bandana. All the, the doctors were male first. There must have been a, a, another operation later on. They, they had to all go. Remember, I just remember drifting off. And remember, after all, all I was waking, I remember waking up and, and, and my head was on. I was lying on this side, and next to the, I could see was the yellow bandana coming over. You know, yeah. Michael, Michael, and he woke me up. He said, "Are you all right?" I said, "Yeah." And that's this doctor come over, and we can laugh about it now, like, but it's yeah. just what you think. And I said, "Michael, are you all right?" And I, and I looked up. And he said, you have, a lovely pair, you have a lovely brown eyes. I said, a great laugh. Like, I have a few operations done, but when you're going for a major operation, like, you don't know, are you going to wake up or are you going to wake up 
upstairs, up in heaven or where, like, and that could be, that could be an angel now that I, you know what I mean, like, after that then, they must put me back to sleep again, that's when I, I came out of intensive care then. So indebted to the doctors and nurses, oh, they had become an extended part of your family nearly yeah, at this stage. Yeah, like, we're all one big bubble there, like, like, I make great friends up there, like, when you're in a situation like that, and I hope there's not too many people in it, but when you're away from home and you're in a hospital and 12 or 40 makes it in, in the same bed, like, and for someone to come in and talk to you, like, there was a lovely woman there, we used to have chats in the morning from nearly half an hour war. She would chat about her family, I'd be chatting about my family and all, like, they were so nice and they were so respectful, like, to, uh, and they come in and they'd be so nice to sit down and talk, if you're having a bad day to talk to you, you would have plenty of bad days, like, to come in and they were, the place was so clean and they used to change oxygen lines every weekend, just in case you get an infection and all, like, I, you couldn't, it was them saved my life and all of them, you know. So with the new lungs now transplanted, there was a nervous period to wait to make sure that Michal's body would accept them and that, of course, they would work. But see, all these tests would have been done when I was unconscious. But then you had to go for chest x-rays after it and you had to go for a pulmonary breath test. That would be later on. There was such an operation, you'd be, be awful sore. Like, I was on a morphine drip then. If I had, it was like a wee box. If I ever got pain, just keep using this. I only used it about twice. I never used it at all. Like, like the pain wasn't that bad. You deal with it. Like the hardest part was getting up and down at the chair, and they'd done MRI scans again, and everything was coming together. But they were afraid of the, the two um, bloods mixing antibody tablets. Mm-hmm. I was on them to just keep make sure that obviously Dave work was. Um, thanks to God, I had no problems. You were released from hospital after two weeks. All of a sudden, then you had to get yourself in the mindset that you were dealing with cancer treatment. That was hard. Even after the operation, I was doing my exercise after the operation again, and I walked into my sister's house, pure. Nothing, nothing, that's him. Walked in, they got up, they thought they didn't know how I, I would be like. But I was walking and then I'd be going to the room and I was just time to relax and getting well fed and the whole lot. And out. I used to be out walking every day. I just, want, I just wanted to get built up. It was an active recuperation. Yes. The same was in my mind then. Doctors were telling you, try not to worry about it. But when you hear the word cancer, you do worry about it. I was lucky. Only for the operation, they wouldn't spot it cancer. I probably had this for years. I was never spotted. In another way, yeah. again, it could have saved your life. It saved my life, yeah. The thought of going under the knife again mm-hmm. and, you know, and the same thing again. I just put myself into four-wheel drive and... The rocky spirit was... rocky spirit was there, was there yeah. Again. Just went up. The brother dropped me off in the hospital and 10 o'clock went for the operation. And which hospital was this? This is the matter. The matter again? Matter, yeah. Okay. Matter hospital. Was that, com- was that a comfort in the fact that you was, knew you were going back yes, to her? I was delighted. Now, it wasn't in the same area... One of the nurses I knew from the other ward, she was looking after me, which was lovely, because I knew her, and you could, they're so easy to go on with, and they used to call me the wolf, and, and Superman, they used to call me Superman upstairs in the theatre, like, and I, I was being brought to the wheelchair for, the, for a scan one day, he wasn't a porter, he was a doctor, he said, are you, the, are you Superman? I said, what do you mean by that? He said, they're talking, there's all talk, it was only three days after, how this man had died and came back, and it was amazing, like, how so many people knew about it. And uh, they're all, they're all, all their own, own names on me, like, you know. So the cancer treatments, Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the road that that went down. Yeah. As I said, before that, I, we had to, I, I had two options. I, I had to go to St. Luke's for, to see a, a special prostate doctor up there. And he was saying that, that the cancer was outside the prostate, which probably was good in a good way, mm-hmm. but if it was inside, it could grow quicker. And he said, you could, well, you, have two oper- you have two operations. You can go for the, the operation to take it out. I said, can I ask you, what, what, what would you advise me to do? But he said, look, you, you've been through a lot at the moment, he says. But I would go for the, uh, get it removed. 
And I said, if you say that, I go and do it. I get it done. Then the matter took over again. I think I was waiting about six, seven months for the operation. It wasn't that bad. Like, you know, something hits my head bad, like for the operation. I try to shake it out and think about something else. Think about, think about something I could do to keep my mind busy. Go out the back of the house for a walk into the garage. Nearly 100% sure that was, I was going to be okay after it. But I had, I said, when I went through, what I went through, I said, this would be a walk in the park. And I was up, I was up the next morning walking around after the prostate. I walked on up and down the hall after it. I just got up and done it, you know. You had to find medical beliefs yeah. again. That, that, oh, that yeah. But that I, knew, I knew the job was well done. The doctor me said, we've good news, we've got all the cancer out. And he, he said, you don't need any radiology or chemo, he said. Fantastic. And that was great news, like. So it was just a, a, a lift. I was doing so well recovering from the lungs. I was doing everything right. Tablets, then the tablets, was the tablets about to get right. But then when I got the lift of the, from the cancer... Just change everything like the positive mental attitude that Michal adopted throughout all of his health challenges stood to him in good stead. Even now he has to pinch himself to realise just how much his life has changed following his double lung transplant operation. I don't know if you see me doing I'm doing this at all time. I'm looking for my mask, thinking that I I'm on auction at the time, even now. Because if I was talking I'd have to put on the mask. The machine was in the room and I used to bring up a lead. And it's just even even when I got out of the hospital I was looking for the mask. One of them things. And if I go to the shop now, see, before that, if I went to the shop, John, I'd have to wait for the, uh, the shop empty, put on my mask, walk in. And I see the thing, biggest problem I had, I used to walk too quick. I wanted to get in, get me messages, come out. I tried to avoid talking to people. See, it was COVID too, I was wearing a mask. All this took place, you could really say, in the middle of the COVID-19 the COVID, pandemic. Yeah. This was another real and, and present oh, danger was. that was operating yeah. this time as well. Proved like how bad I was, but like normally family would be allowed up. And my family were allowed to see me. So like, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be a stupid person, but if I'd, I'd be fairly sharp that way. Like, you know, I'd yeah. know, I'd know, I'd know by looking at even, even the doctors come into it. And I could know in their eyes that I was bad, like, you know. Michal is still in a significant amount of medication following the transplant operation. 36 tablets a day, to be precise. It's another challenge that he tackles head-on as he begins to lead a normal life and return to some of the activities that he loved most. I've all or what down on books and everything like yeah yeah especially with the first three tablets you have to be very careful I was told this for the operation that you could have kidney trouble after it and I have a wee bit but it's steady they're keeping an eye on it at his level like hopefully if it stays level it'll do no harm ever like and all this is important that in, to prevent your body attacking yeah. the new lungs that exactly you're yeah looking out the window mm. and I see an absolutely immaculate zero five Volkswagen Passat thank you very much in the garage yeah I know you put so much time, effort, yeah. and if I can dare say it, love into restoring that car. And this but is all since I came out of hospital. Since you came out of hospital. Since I came out of hospital. Talk to yeah. me about being able to go back and oh, do what you, what you love doing, being a mechanic, working on engines, working on cars again. Oh, it's unbelievable. You know, because when I went to mechanics, I said, my father will talk about it. And I said, I wouldn't be the best man at doing exams. He said, Michal, you have it in your hands. He said, that's where you... That's where you have the power in your hands. Probably now you would have to, but them days you did. But getting back to my car, like my car would be lying up for a couple of months. and Like I would have bought that car for the parents that time, but his daddy couldn't get in and out of the car. He was getting bad, you know, and I think he died about a month after I got the car. But that car was, it's everything to me, like, you know. I've done a lot of work on it, as you can see, it's on the jack again, is what it is. It's my an dad, ongoing labour of love. Yeah. Remember I showed you my dad's 96 Corolla? Toyota Corolla, that yeah. A, that was in the garage for 14 years. And you've seen it the other day now, it's perfect now again. Perfect, like, so. absolutely, you can vouch for it, it's and absolutely immaculate. I do think about it, like, come in and I do think, did I just do that now, like, I, like, I do the whole front of my car there, like, like I take my time, I mean, I have a rest, I lie in the bed, 
put on the fan, maybe go on TikTok for maybe a... And I go out again then, like, and I just take my time. Man. Can you give a piece of advice? Is there anything that you'd say to somebody now that might be facing, not yeah. necessarily a lung transplant, could be different transplants, say a yeah. major medical procedure, from drawing your own experience, yeah. what well, advice would you, would well, you see, give to them? Since this operation, when I see my life here, like my bedroom, it's only, what, three foot, four foot away. And for me in the morning to get up half an hour, to get out of bed, get dressed, and for me to take two steps... With full oxygen on. What I will say is, look, the situation, I, I didn't think it would work out. When I got to the matter, that changed everything for me. Like, I was sitting here just dying, and, and again, I was waiting for a phone call every day that going to the matter to get checked out, but like, nothing happened. Like, and you know, you sort of give in, then I, I did give in a bit in the end, like, but then when I got the, I got the news of Dublin. If I was sitting here at that time and I was listening to uh, your station, and I heard a, a woman come on or a man saying that they were in that situation. They just just say they told you the same story that if I was in their situation, it would have given me a boost, and I would say, well, "I'm going to keep fighting this. You know, I'm not going to give up. I'm only what I'm only still a fairly young fella. I went in that hospital in a wheelchair. Uh, my brother behind me, and a, a porter pushed me in, and I walked out of the hospital carrying my own bag. I get that feeling now that you're really living life, me oh, and you're enjoying, enjoying it. it. When summertime was here, I used to, I wouldn't come in about ten o'clock at night. I'd be doing something just to, to be out in the fresh air, ten k walk. I'd be over the beach walk and I'd stop. And I love fishing, so I go down to the lovely area. You can see all the all the seats up. I love that's what I fish for, like and just to be there breathing the lovely fresh air in with no oxygen mask on you and looking around you and all the birds and the wildlife and everything. It's, it's you didn't have to you have to nip yourself. How can you thank the people that helped me? I think they see me working so hard. Let's say that that man doesn't want to die.